Welcome to Meet the Paint. I'm Stan Freeberg, and here with me are Mr. Bernie Umber. How do you do? And Miss Natalie Woodwork. Delighted. I've been a radio buff as long as I can remember. Longer, actually. According to my mother, there was a Philco table radio in the delivery room of the California Lutheran Hospital, dragged along by the nurse who hated to miss young Dr. Malone. I was born on August 7th between a Rinso commercial and the NBC Chimes, which makes me a Leo with Lever Brothers as my rising sign. Mr. Freeberg? Yes? We already read that joke on the back of this record jacket. Oh? Well, it's pretty small print. For those who couldn't quite make it out, I just thought I'd... Yes, well, uh... What's the point? Well, I go on to say on the back that I believe in radio because radio is dedicated to man's imagination, the theater of the mind. I don't see where you said that on the album jacket. You don't? Well, if I didn't, I should have. It has a nice ring to it. It certainly does. In other words, in radio, all things are possible left to one's imagination, including Mm -hmm. the demonstrating of paint colors, you know, which is why Pittsburgh is advertising on radio as well as TV. Oh, well, why... When did you first start creating radio commercials for Pittsburgh paints? Well, let's see. Uh, It was uh, the year I got my last booster shot. That was 19... uh... Did you have any bad reaction from it? No, as far as I know, everybody at Pittsburgh Paint seemed to like the stuff pretty well. After I had mine, I couldn't lift my arm for a week. Wait a minute. We're getting off the track. Uh, In other words, when you suggested radio, there was no objection raised at the client level? I couldn't raise it to any level. Look, does radio have any impact? I mean, how many sets are actually in use today? Well, only about 400 million. 400 million radio? That was a figure for 1970. 98% of all homes have radios. Not even counting their cars, the average home has 5.1 sets in use. 5.1? What kind of a radio is one-tenth of a set? That's a very tiny transistor just developed by a midget Japanese engineer with the Sony Corporation. It comes built into a caraway seed. Aren't those people amazing? Uh, Yes, well, uh, although apparently radio today has rapidly built into a veritable bonanza... I thought he said it was built into a caraway seed. Uh, Are you saying Pittsburgh Paints will be advertising only on radio? No, no, a rather satirical bird I've created for them, the Pittsburgh Peacock will be debuting in living color on network television any moment now. He's standing on the front of this record jacket. That's nice. Yes. While he's unfurling his feathers on TV, a new series of radio dramas I've produced will be playing to help people think of color. And what's it called? I call it the Pittsburgh Paints Theater of the Air. Starting this spring, you'll be hearing them night and day. I didn't know Cole Porter wrote commercials. Well, they also play in the fall. Oh, yes. What about summertime? I think that was George Gershwin. Yeah, it was Gershwin. Yes, well, uh, is that about it now, uh, for the side of the record? Yes, except to sign off with two commercials. The first I wrote and produced for the radio industry, which demonstrates a little better what I've been trying to say about the power of radio. It's called 
redecorating Lake Michigan and features a 10-ton maraschino cherry, among other items. Uh, that'll be followed by my demonstration of painting on radio, which you may have heard. And where is your new Pittsburgh Paints Theater there? Now, to hear that, just turn the record over. Turn the record over. That's right, and put the arm down. I can now, but I couldn't right after I got my shot. <laughs> hey, everyone. This is OTR Rob, welcoming you to Fibber and Molly and the Black of Fibber and Molly shows. And this episode of Fibber and McGee and Molly comes from 1948, January 20th, Molly's Pickles. And after that is Our Miss Brooks from 1955, March 6th, Project X. And you bet your life, from 1952, nearly an hour here of You Bet Your Life, from 1952, from January 23rd. And the secret word is water, W-A-T-E-R. Enjoy all these, and I'll see you all back here next week. And wasn't this past weekend really great with the tribute to Jack Benny for for starting on Friday night, going all the way through until Sunday night. Really great. I hope you caught that. It happens once a year around Jack's birthday. Join the International Jack Benny Fan Club, where you'll get all the good stuff about Jack Benny and the entire cast, the writers, everybody. So enjoy and Sign up for the International Jack Benny Fan Club. It's well worth it. Enjoy. The Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. Johnson's Wax Products for Home and Industry present Fibber McGee and Molly with Bill Thompson, Gail Gordon, Arthur Q. Bryan, and me, Harlow Wilcox. The script is by Don Quinn and Phil Leslie. Music by the Kingsmen and Billy Mills Orchestra. You know, it's surprising how genuine Johnson's Paste Wax will actually make your furniture and floors more beautiful than they were the day they were brand new. The warm, shining luster of a well-waxed surface is more mellow and richer somehow. Not only do floors and furniture polished with Johnson's Paste Wax gleam and reflect the light and color of a lovely room, but they seem to say, here are precious things well cared for. Johnson's Wax makes all wood surfaces as well as floors much more easy to keep clean. Dust and dirt just won't stick to that hard, sparkling coat of gleaming wax. A light dusting and all dirt vanishes. Johnson's Wax protects your furniture from mars and scratches, too. Try it and enjoy the new richness it will give your furniture. Enjoy the luster and protection it will give your floors. Yes, enjoy the added beauty Johnson's Wax will bring to your home. Look on the bright side, shine up the right side, bring out the beauty of the home. The auditorium of the Wistful Vista High School usually smells faintly of chalk, bubble gum, and wet overshoes. But tonight, those happy odors give way to those of face powder, chocolate cake, and wet overshoes. 
Because the Women's Club, Northside Branch, is taking it over for their annual bazaar. Mrs. Fibber McGee, a charter member, is explaining it to her husband. As we join, Fibber McGee and Molly. And so when Mrs. Toops asked me if I was going to be there, I said, When have I ever missed a Women's Club bazaar? Mm-hmm. And she said, well, I just wanted to be sure you'd be there, and I said I would be, and she said she just wanted to know, and I said she needn't worry, and she said she wasn't worrying, she was just checking up, and I said she better check up on some of the members who never do show up, and she said she would. (laughs) And hung up. Tootsie, I sure wish we had an extension phone in here so I could listen in on some of these fascinating conversations. Oh, it wasn't very exciting, really. No, what Mrs. Toops just asked me if I was going to be there, and I said, when have I ever missed a woman's club bazaar? Mm-hmm. And she said she just wanted to know, and I said she needn't worry, and she hey, said... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just... Yeah, I know. I-, I think I'll go along, too. Well, good. You can help me carry the canned things I'm donating to the auction. Okay. What canned things are you taking? Oh, just some things I put up myself. Swell. Give them all them tomato preserves you put up during the war when it looked like there was going to be a tomato shortage, only there wasn't. I got so sick of tomato preserves, I couldn't... No, no. (laughs) The ladies asked uh, especially for some of my bread and butter pickles that I put up every year, so I promised them six jars. Well, I still think the Six jars of what? My bread and butter pickles. Oh. They have sort of a reputation, you know. Oh, Molly, you didn't. You couldn't. My gosh, kiddo, those are the last six jars of them pickles. I count them every day. You know how I love them. But, dearie, what could I do? The chairman of the committee yourself asked me for them, and, oh. well, I... Well, they always bring a good price, you know. They ought to bring eight million bucks. Every ward on them pickles of yours is worth its weight in platinum. <laughs> Why, even them little bits of pickled cauliflower. Why, I could wear them things in my hair to parties, like orchids. <laughs> Hope that's Tom Brenneman. Come in. Oh, hello, Dr. Gamble. Do come in. Hey, my dear. Hello, Rumplepuss. <laughs> Hi, Doc. Well, what's biting you, Long Lip? Uh... You look as unhappy as Gene Autry in an English saddle. <laughs> Pickles. What's the matter with him, Molly? Why is our little pigeon pouting? I gave his pickles away. <laughs> Pardon me? Why don't you pay attention when my wife is talking, you road company killed heir? She said she gave away the last of my bread and butter pickles to the food sale at the bazaar at the high school tonight. You know those bread and butter pickles I put up every year, Doctor? Well, I promised six jars of them to the ladies of the women's club. Wait, wait a minute. You mean those homemade pickles I made such a fool of myself over the last time I ate dinner here? And believe me, Napkin Bandit, that was the last time you ate dinner here. You ate enough of those pickles to have lasted me four weeks. You staggered out of here loaded with enough grub for the last six cars of the friendship train. If I ever saw a human caboose wobbling out of our front door... Oh, now, please, McGee. Hung a lantern on it. Dr. Gamble was our guest. He is our guest. Mm. Well, if it embarrasses him to have me as a guest, my dear, I can easily put this on a professional basis. Take off your shirt, McGee. Okay, the pain is right here I will not take off my shirt There's nothing the matter with me Oh, I don't know I see your hair is receding a little When you get a nice big bald spot I'll come over with a crayon Hmm? I've always wanted to see the Gettysburg Address Written on a pinhead (laughs) Why, you big... Now, Now, wait a minute McGee, doctor, boys, now, please Well... Now, I've got to go and get my pickles ready. You mean my pickles? She means my pickles. Huh? 
I'll be at that bazaar tonight, and I defy anybody to outbid me. Why, doctor, my goodness, I didn't know you cared about my Probably my office, if you don't mind. I get it, Fatso. Maybe you're being called out of town on a consultation. Like maybe to Rio de Janeiro or Malay Peninsula or someplace. <laughs> I hope. McGee's residence, Gamble speaking. Who? Oh, yes, Mrs. Clatterhatch. Her again. Your son? Oh, that's too bad. Yes, just wash it thoroughly and paint it with iodine and then sew the ear back on. <laughs> Bye. Oh, heavenly days. What happened to the boy? Well, he plays football with a factory team. Got cut up in scrimmage. And you told her to sew his ear back on herself? E-A-R, yes. He Man. plays for Goodyear, and the last three letters got torn off his sweater. Oh. <laughs> See you at the bazaar, children. Billy Mills of the orchestra and Golden Earrings. Molly, you can't do this to me. I can't go through this winter facing a pickle famine. My favorite bread and butter pickles and our last six jars of bread and butter pickles. Yeah, but dearie, I promised the women's club I'd put them up for auction. Well. Now get them out of the kitchen like a good boy and put them in the car for me before we forget them. Uh, it's like auctioning off part of my family, but I'll do it. Hi, Georgia. Come in. Oh, hi, old-timer. Hello there, Mr. Old-timer. Hello there, kids. Say, you two going to the big Beezer the women's club is holding at the high school tonight? It isn't Beezer, it's a bazaar, and we'll be there all right. I guess almost everybody will be there. Everybody who counts, anyway. Can you count, old-timer? Well, I can get as far as 140 or 50, Johnny, so I guess I'll qualify. (laughs) (laughs) You'll find me in the same spot all evening, playing bongo. Oh, you mean bingo. Nope, I mean bongo. Bongo, 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 I don't want to leave the Congo. I'm the jukebox. I love good music, kid. Come 
from a musical family. Yeah? Papa, even as a little boy, he was a one-thing striddler. A one-string fiddler. No, a one-thing striddler. Hmm? He used to striddle the fence and throw things at people one thing after another. <laughs> Papa didn't talk very plain till he was about 16. <laughs> By that time, so many people had talked plain to him, he kind of caught on to it. <laughs> I suppose you like to dance, too, Mr. Oldtimer. Oh, I sure do, daughter. <laughs> I used to be a great one for the bunny hog and the turkey trot, but I got too tall for bunnies and turkeys and had to start dancing with people. <laughs> now I'm a jitterbug. <laughs> <laughs> jitterbug, eh? Jiu-jitsu with music. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good, Johnny, but that ain't the way I heard it. It isn't? No, the way I heard it, one feller says to tell the feller, Say, he says, My brother just fixed things so he'll never have to pay another's nickel's worth of income tax. Is that so, says the other feller. How did he ever do that? Simple, says the first feller. He shot himself. <laughs> well, see you at the Beezer, kid. Now, look, kiddo, about those pickles. Oh, get your mind off the pickles. Oh, okay, let's change the subject. Fine, fine. I saw an interesting item in the paper this morning. About pickles? <laughs> I'm trying to get your mind off of pickles, dear. Oh. This item said the Russians were ready to talk about the money they owe us on Lend-Lease, finally. Talk about it, eh? I wish I could pay off my bills with conversation. By George, if people paid their bills the way countries do, there wouldn't be any people. What do you mean? Well, if people that owed people paid people that way, the people people owed it to would starve to death. And so would the people that owed people, too. Because those people would have people owing them. And, and if the people that owed the people that owed the people didn't pay the people, the people would be in a pickle. Ooh! Pickle. That's rather than There must be some way we can save a few jars of Come in. Oh, it's the weatherman, McGee. Come in, Mr. Williams. Thank you, Mrs. McGee. Hello, McGee. Hi, Si. Hey, how's the weather going to be for the Women's Club Beezer tonight, Foggy? Yes. Yes, what? Foggy. <laughs> or at least it will look foggy. What you mean? Between the cigarette smoke, the dust, and the lint from the $95 chinchilla coats, the air will be fairly thick. <laughs> I usually find my way to an exit by waiting for a draft of fresh air and tracing it to its source. Hmm, that's a good idea, kid. Does it always work? Almost never. Hmm. <laughs> Nine times out of ten, you find yourself with your nose against a ventilator. Or, if there's music, staring into a flute. <laughs> well, I suppose the time will come when science will give us exact weather information for weeks and months ahead. Oh, that time is already here, Mrs. McGee. For instance, I can tell you right now that we will have a heavy and continuous rainfall between June 12th and June 27th of this year. My gosh, Foggy, that's wonderful. How can you be so sure? That's when I take my vacation. <laughs> For 20 years, I've been trying to get a suntan. I always come home from vacations with mildewed clothing, wet sport shoes, and a hacking cough. Oh, uh, before I forget it, may I see your afternoon paper? Mine was not delivered today. Oh, certainly, Mr. Williams. Here it is, right here. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Ah, clear and colder tonight, I see. Well, in that case, I'll be meeting you at the bazaar. Good day, probably. 
What a weatherman. What a weatherman. Has to look in the paper to see what the weather is going to be. Well, you can buy a paper for a nickel. And Mrs. Williams tells me that's more than the Weather Bureau can get out of Congress for new equipment. <laughs> but about those pickles. <laughs> Can't we just save one jar of pickles, Molly, so I can Hello, have... Hello, Molly. A... Hi, pal. Hey, is it true, Hello, Molly? Oh, Mr. Wilcox. Is what true? Yes, it's true, Junior. Six jars of them. But how'd you find out about it? It's all over town like Johnson's Wax, pal. Huh? And I'm going to be at that bazaar when it opens. I'm going to park myself right in front of the food booth and stick there to lay auction those pickles. Well, you better take along a few good books then, Junior. They always save the best stuff for the last, you know. Oh, I'll be okay, pal. I'm taking a chair and a table and a few cans of Johnson's Wax. Oh, let him write it. While I'm waiting, I'll be showing anybody that happens along how Johnson's Wax protects and beautifies tabletops, chairs, and other fine furniture. While he's waiting, he says. I'll point out to all those eager housewives how a Johnson Wax mm. kept home is a hospitable home, a clean home, a home that no matter how humble or how elaborate, Always smiles a cheerful welcome. Yeah, but the food sale booth oh, is Johnson's right there. Johnson's Wax not only protects their fine furniture and woodwork, but gives them a brilliant, gleaming luster that brings out the beauty of the home. Yeah. But... Why, Johnson's Wax is. Hey, what time is it? Almost half past, Mr. Waxy. Or Mr. Wilcox. <laughs> well, gee, I'd better beat it. I want to get downtown before the bank closes and draw out my life savings. I'm going to buy those pickles tonight. <laughs> hey, hey, wait a minute, Omaha. Your life savings. How much have you got in the bank? Twelve dollars. Huh? I'd have more, but the Johnson Company only pays me what I'm worth. So long, Molly. Oh, my, I think it's wonderful the way everybody's so interested in my pickles, dearie. I'll bet they yeah, will Yeah, just... when I think of Doc Gamble throwing those big, ugly fangs of his into those beautiful, defenseless little cucumbers, or even Wilcox poking at him with his wax-protected fingers, I just... <laughs> feel so badly about it, sweetheart. Heavenly days, you can buy some almost as good. Oh, no, you can't. Not like the ones you put up. Oh, you. You just say that. You bet I say that. Say what? That I can't buy pickles as good as what you put up. That's what I thought you said. Why, you can't... (laughs) You can't buy pickles at... Where are them pickles? I want to feast my eyes on them again before those pearls are thrown to the swine at that bazaar. <laughs> well, they're out on the kitchen cupboard now, but be careful with them because... Don't you're... worry, don't worry. I'll be careful. I'll be careful. Ooh. Oh, boy, oh, boy. I just got the dirtiest idea. But no, I can't do that. Calling up the grocery store and ordering six jars of store-bought pickles and then switching them into Molly's jars so I could hide her pickles for myself. Ooh, that'd be almost like embezzling. Yeah, only a rat would do a thing like that. A pickle-hungry rat. <laughs> Hello, operator. Give me Jimmy Sales Market. Hello, Market. Give me the pickle counter. I want six jars of cheap pickles quick and slip them in the back way because I don't want anybody here to... Oh, come on, Second and for every little minute, every hour, every hour, every day. Every little flicker of my silly old ticker seems to say softly, Why am I always yearning for Teresa when there is Peggy, Marguerite, and Mary Jane? Why does my heart keep burning for Teresa when I know that loving her is all in vain? 
Marguerite is sweet. And a little smile from Mary Jane can make my day complete. Ah, but nevertheless, there's only one I dream of. Teresa, Teresa, my own. There's plenty of others whose mothers are wonderful cooks. And fifty little nifties who beat her for looks. Why am I always yearning for Teresa? Teresa, when there are other girls that I could be around. Why does my heart keep burning for Teresa? Teresa, when she never builds me up but tears me down. What's her magic power that makes me want her near? When she's near somebody else, from all the tales I hear. Nevertheless, there's only one I dream of. Not Peggy nor Margie. It has to be Teresa I love. Love, love, Teresa, Teresa. Everybody in town is here, it seems. Yeah. The club should make all kinds of money tonight. Yeah. They've already made two Canadian dimes in a Mexican quarter that I know of. I've been trying to spend those things. Oh, hi, Cleet. Hello, McGee. Aren't you having fun, dearie? I just love to go. Oh, there's the weatherman's wife, Mrs. Williams. Hello there, Mrs. Williams. Good evening. Probably. <laughs> you know, I like her. She's always so breezy. Yeah. You were asking me if I was having fun. No, I'm not. And I do mean no. These ruckuses leave me colder than the attic of a nigloo. I just had my palm read for half a buck by Mort Toops, disguised with walnut stain on his puss. He calls himself... Hi, Charlie. Hello, McGee. <laughs> Say, did he tell you anything interesting when he read your palm? Yeah, Mort's kind of nearsighted and didn't realize I still had my pigskin gloves on, see? <laughs> he takes a look at my palm and says I was one of a family of 17. I preferred a life in the open air and spent several years in the pen. I was always eating like mud bats and would be married 14 times and I was an awful ham. Personally, I'm about ready to go home. Go home? For goodness sakes, you don't want to leave before the auction off my pickles, I hope. That's the main reason oh, why... Oh, the pickles, yeah. You did take them over to the booth, didn't you? Oh, yeah, yeah, I took them. I'll say I took them. I took those pickles. When I was over there a while ago, they were trying to auction off one of those little flat angel food cakes that Mrs. Hawkins thinks are so wonderful. You know, those oh, foolish little four-egg things that she puts so much cream of tartar into? Oh, look, McGee, there's Mr. Wimple. Where? Oh, hi, Wimple. Hello, Mr. Wimple. Hello, folks. <laughs> My goodness, isn't this exciting? Yeah, terrific. This shindig's got about as much real spine-tingling drama as a turtle race. Hey, you look a little mussed up, Wimp. What happened? Oh, I was running the fish pond for a while, Mr. McGee, but I quit. It was too embarrassing. Embarrassing? Yes. People kept paying their dimes and dropping their hooks in and catching me. <laughs> Well, even the best of us get hooked at these joints, Wimp. Oh, I didn't mind getting hooked, Mr. McGee. But they kept unhooking me and throwing me back. <laughs> Sweetie Face, that's my big old wife. Yeah. <laughs> Sweetie Face is helping out here, too. She's at one of the booths over there, selling kisses. Oh, where's your booth, Mr. Wimple? They put her way, way, way down there to the left. Oh, yeah. Under the big sign that says... Fire sale, two cents each. <laughs> oh, oh, is she burned up? 
Well, she ought to be. Hey, McGee, come on. Hello, Dr. Gamble. Hi, Molly. Come on, they're going to auction off your pickles. I'm going down close. Oh, come on, McGee. Let's move up closer and see how much they bring. Yeah, yeah, let's watch. <laughs> Look at old Doc shove through there. Is that sucker? Now, ladies it? and gentlemen, six jars of delicious homemade bread and butter pickles canned by Mrs. Molly McGee. <laughs> That's what you think, bud. I got her pickle pickle. I'm told, uh, I'm told these pickles are absolutely out of this world. And we're going to offer them now to the highest bidder. Six jars. A dollar a jar. Oh, there's a starting bid. Six dollars for six jars, Dr. Gamble says. A whole offer seven. Seven dollars. Who was that, McGee? Can you see? Was that Mrs. Hawkins? Ten dollars. Hey, that was Foggy Williams, Molly. You see him over there? Ten dollars, I'm bid. Ten dollars for these delicious pickles. Now, who'll make it eleven? Remind me to give Mr. Williams a jar next year. Isn't he nice to bid ten dollars? Ten dollars, I'm offered. Who'll make it? Ten oh five. I said 10.05. And you needn't look at me like that. I've been glared at by an expert. $13. Ooh. <laughs> boy, oh boy. Listen to those suckers go, huh? $16. Plutocrats. $16, I'm bad. Who will make it $17? $16 for these Oh, is that wonderful, McGee? $16 so far. Yeah. <laughs> Sixteen bucks for some store-bought pickles that I don't Sixteen, I'm bed. Do I hear a raise? Yes. Sixteen, oh, five. Seventeen, fifty. Eighteen, fifty. Twenty dollars. Twenty dollars, I'm bid for these six jars of delicious home canned pickles. And from her own recipe, my Mrs. Molly McGee. Twenty dollars. Who'll say twenty dollars? Oh, this is just wonderful. I'll bet Mrs. Hawkins and those other ladies are fit to be tied, McGee. Yeah. They'll just... Say, when are you going to start bidding? Huh? Bid? Who? Me? My goodness, I I thought you'd be in there raising the bid every minute. Well, you always said you loved my pickles, so... Well, I do, but... Well, if my own husband... My very own husband doesn't even bid on them. Oh, gee whiz. Well, I can just hear that Mrs. Hawkins now telling everybody. Oh, yeah. Oh, gee whiz. But, Molly, those aren't the... Why should I bid? Well, that is... Oh. Oh, trapped. $22. $22. And Dr. Gamble says $22. 22 months. 22 twice. Are they going at 22? Oh. Her own husband. Her own husband, she'll say. Oh, Her own no, husband Molly. doesn't want them, so the oh. pickles twice. must not be as good as... Oh. $22 twice. Oh, $25. So, Mr. McGee, it's $25. <laughs> oh, my husband. My big idea. Molly return in just a moment. The most beautiful floor or piece of furniture in the world can be made more lovely if it's polished with genuine Johnson's paste wax. I know that's a pretty strong statement, but it's true. Johnson's wax adds to the original beauty of any fine surface. Tabletops, chairs, all wood surfaces, things made of leather, they all glow with a warm, mellow, new beauty under that shining, hard, protective coat. The grain of the wood, the very texture of the surface are all vastly improved by a gleaming coat of Johnson's Wax. 
It makes it easy to keep good things looking lovely, too. A light dusting with a dry cloth and dust and dirt disappear from a well-waxed surface. Now, I'm sure you want your fine things and floors to look their best and last their longest. Well, there's no better way to beautify and protect them than with wax. And, of course, there's no better wax than Johnson's Wax. Use genuine Johnson's Wax to bring out the hidden beauty of your home. Look on the bright side, shine up the right side, bring out the beauty of the home. Oh, you're awfully sweet to outbid everybody else for my pickles, dearie. <laughs> <laughs> I was proud of you. Yeah. Live and learn, I always say. Yeah. Come in. Hi, mister. Hi, Miss McGee. Oh, hello oh, there, Hello, Jeannie. little girl. Come on in. I stopped by for you to give me some money, Mr. McGee. What? Now, look, sis. You're always getting money from me for sodas and candies sure. and everything else. And, and that's all the more reason why I ought to get money from you now, too, I betcha. Oh, it is, eh? Because, hmm? I says it is, eh? Is why? All the more reason why. Why, why? Why you should get more money. From who? From me. I know it. <laughs> I'm glad you think so, too, mister. On account of this money isn't for me. This is for some other little children over in Europe. Little children who haven't got any money or clothes or even food, I bet you. Oh, yes, I know about them. So, all us school children everywhere are having our own campaign. The United Nations appeal for children to collect money for them. Because they're just kids like we are, mister, and, well, they, they need our help. Oh, I think that's a wonderful idea, Teeny. All over the country, us kids will be knocking on doors and asking grown people for donations. We help our own children here with wonderful things like... Well, like the March of Dimes, and our teacher says all that the children of Europe have is the March of Hunger and Sickness and Cold. Well, that's right, Teenie. The least we can do is to do all we can. Yes, and I'm sure everybody will want to do all they possibly can when their doorbell rings for the United Nations Appeal for Children. Good night. Good night, all. of Johnson's Wax Products, Racine, Wisconsin, bring you Fibber McGee and Molly every Tuesday night. Be with us again next week, won't you? Good night. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. teacher's name is Constance Brooks, and she teaches English at Madison High School, that path is apt to be not quite so smooth and even. Somehow, while most girls go through life attracting boys, I go through it attracting accidents. 
Last Wednesday, as I was leaving Clay City High after a visit with a friend, I hit the jackpot of all accidents. I was walking toward the elevator, my mind off in space, when a few seconds later, so was I. I had stepped into an open elevator shaft. (laughs) The next thing I knew, I was hanging by my fingertips. Jason Brill, Clay's principal, had rushed up and pulled me to safety. The newspaper photographers had taken our pictures, and we were so busy, I didn't have a chance to faint until I got home. (laughs) The next morning, as my landlady and I sat down to breakfast, I slipped the newspaper casually under Mrs. Davis's eyes and waited for her reaction. Finally, it came. In tones quivering with excitement, she said, Connie, what's a two-letter word meaning sun god? (laughs) Davis, look. No, dear, look has four letters. Uh, Maybe I should try it vertical. Now, let's see. What's a three-letter word for feline domestic animal? Quiet, Minerva, and finish your milk. Now, three-letter word for feline domestic animal. It's no use, Minerva. (laughs) If you forget that crossword puzzle for a moment and look at the front page, you might see a story about a person you know that will interest you. Oh, all right, dear. Well? Oh, my. My goodness. Why, Connie, this is your picture. A picture of you and Jason Brill. But what are you two doing on the front page? If you'll read the story, you'll see what we're doing there. A story. Oh, that's right. There is a story. Jason Brill, principal of Clay City High School, played the hero yesterday as he hoisted Constance Brooks, Madison High English teacher, out of an open elevator shaft. Miss Brooks had been dangling by her fingertips three stories up with the elevator a floor above her when she was finally rescued. Oh, Connie, how awful. But, dear, I don't quite understand. Don't quite understand what, Mrs. Davis? Wouldn't it have been simpler to wait for the elevator like everybody else? (laughs) Not with my claustrophobia. (laughs) Mrs. Davis, the whole thing was an accident. A horrible, nightmarish accident. Oh, of course, dear. Were you hurt? No, I'm all right today. Now, please don't worry about me, Mrs. Davis. I have as many lives as... No coaching, Minerva. (laughs) Don't you want to read the rest of the story? I'm reading it now. Mr. Brill, who is currently one of the principals being considered for promotion to assistant superintendent of schools, was extremely modest about his daring rescue. When asked to comment, he said, This is nothing that any other aggressive, vigorous, alert, level-headed, courageous man wouldn't have done under similar circumstances. (laughs) his whole comment, he would have been elected to Congress. (laughs) As it is, I doubt if he'll make assistant superintendent. At least not while Mr. Conklin is also trying for the job. Oh, is Osgood still after that position? Like Dick Tracy is after Rughead. Why, today our boy unveils his Project X in front of Mr. Stone. Project X? Goodness, it sounds important. What is it, dear? If I know Mr. Conklin, it's probably a scientific method of making six teachers do the work of one principal. Frankly, Mrs. Davis, I'm dying to find out about Project X myself. Mr. Conklin's promised me that this morning he's letting the cat out of the bag. Yeah! Back in the bag, Minerva. In any case, Connie, it might be a good idea to drop in and see your principal before your first class. He'll be so relieved to see you unscratched. He'll fuss over you like a cat over her baby kitten. Yeah! Yes, Mrs. Davis. 
Minerva, they're playing our song. <laughs> in perfect health, none the worse for wear, not a scratch on me, and ready to start the day's work with a brave smile, so don't you worry one bit. <laughs> Sit down, you traitor. <laughs> yeah? Mr. Conklin, didn't you read the story about me in the morning paper? Seven times. <laughs> Miss Brooks, you knew I was in a life and death struggle with Jason Brill for assistant superintendent. You knew that making him a hero would practically ruin my chances. For lo, these many years, you've been enjoying all of your accidents right here at Madison. <laughs> and now, when I need you most, why did you have to take your business elsewhere? It was rather thoughtless of me, sir. And I was so confident that when I unveiled my project next before Mr. Stone at three this afternoon, it would dwarf all of Brill's recent projects. But now, with his hero Uh, is this your Project X, sir? This desk microphone and the instrument panel with push buttons? Uh, yes. Yes, it's an amplifying system. Sitting right here in my office, I can press buttons and hear what's going on in any classroom or hallway. I can check on my teachers and students at any time. Board of Education was delighted when I suggested they try out the system at Madison. Would you show me how it works, sir? Uh, well, I had promised my daughter Harriet she would be the first to hear it this morning, but... I don't know what's happened to her. Oh, I'm certain she wouldn't mind if I heard it first. <laughs> no, I suppose not. Well, all right, I'll flick it on. We'll uh, warm up with room 100, although it may be unoccupied at this early hour. Oh, come on, Harriet. Just one little kiss. <laughs> no, Walter. Daddy wouldn't like it. Who wants to kiss him? <laughs> Please, Harriet, one teensy weensy little kiss. Dendron, unpuck her this instant. What? Harriet, you know you're getting to sound more like your old man every day. <laughs> well, that wasn't me, Walter. Well, don't tell me it's my conscience talking. Denton, this is your principal talking. And no conscience ever shouted like that. <laughs> Holy cow, now Miss Brooks' voice is coming out of the woodwork. <laughs> my Project X, Miss Brooks. And if you hadn't made a hero out of Jason Brill, it would have been enough to sway Mr. Stone in favor of my promotion. I tell you frankly, if Mr. Stone selects Jason Brill for that job, I'm going to be in a very ugly mood indeed. Yes, sir. I will hark back constantly to the incident that caused my defeat, knowing always at whose doorstep to lay the blame. You can imagine what may occur. Yes, sir. For the next six months, you're liable to trample all over my welcome mat. Well, since I had made a hero out of our principal's arch-rival, Jason Brill, Mr. Conklin felt that I had cost him his promotion to assistant superintendent. Just before lunch, Mrs. Davis phoned to find out how I was feeling, and I gave her a rundown of the situation. Connie, I'm amazed at Osgood. Do you mean he wasn't a bit happy to see you up and around? He acted more like he wished I were down than under. <laughs> he feels I've cost him his promotion. Well, he's just upset, dear. 
Why, with a wonderful project like that amplifying system, he should be able to walk into that new job. Over a road of broken eardrums. That system is driving us all crazy, Mrs. Davis. He listens in on us in the classrooms, in the hallways, in the recreation room. And a few minutes ago, I had the shock of my life in the female faculty room. My goodness. Well, Osgood is just sulking, Connie. Still, it would have been better for you if he had been the hero. Well, it's too late to worry about that now. Since... Mrs. Davis, what did you just say? Well, I said... Oh, goodness, Connie, I'm afraid I wasn't paying attention. What did I say? <laughs> yes. Why not? No, I'm certain I didn't say yes. Why not? <laughs> Mrs. Davis, you're a lifesaver. Well, goodbye now. I've got to meet Mr. Boynton in the lunchroom and break the good news to him. Good news? What good news, Connie? That at 3 p.m. today, he's going to be rescued by Mr. Conklin from a terrible accident. Say, that pie was better than the usual you make down here. Yes, it was. Oh, now, you said you had a big favor to ask me. What is it? Uh, yes, I did want to ask a favor, Mr. Boynton, but perhaps I'd better not ask it here. You know who might be listening in on us right now. Who? Which who? Oh. Yes, that who. <laughs> I guess I could whisper it to you, though. Bring your ear over closer. Now, listen. <laughs> you know, you sent a chill right down my spine. Care to do me now? <laughs> I mean, let's just talk in low tones. Oh, Miss Brooks, believe me, you're worrying needlessly. I'm sure Mr. Conklin has something better to do than listen in on lunchroom conversations. But if you're worried, why don't you just write down what you have to say on a napkin? What do you think of that idea? I think it's the sneakiest thing I've heard today. Mr. Conklin. Gosh, you were right, Miss Brooks. Don't get panicky, friend. Just follow me across to the unoccupied zone of Madison High. be perfectly safe from him here in the boiler room, Mr. Boynton. There isn't a wire in the place, see? Uh, still, he's here, Miss Brooks. I can feel it in my bones. This, this room is wired, too. I know he's here. Mr. Boynton, look. I'll prove to you once and for all that Mr. Conklin has no wires down here. Here's a paper bag on the floor. I'll blow it up and explode it near the ceiling. Watch. Get up off your knees. I can't hear what happened to my eardrum. Where is everybody? Mr. Conklin. I can't hear. Say something, somebody. Please. please. Mr. Conklin, can you hear me? Say? Oh, somebody. I can't hear. Say something, somebody, somebody. Go jump in the lake, fish face. <laughs> Take a flying leap for yourself, meathead. <laughs> you hear what I call?
called him, Miss Brooks? If it's a question of your getting the Medal of Honor, I'll be your witness. <laughs> well, now that Mr. Conklin can't hear us, what was that big favor you wanted? Mr. Stone is coming over at three this afternoon to hear the amplifying system in action. And when he presses the button to hear what's going on in your laboratory, I was wondering if you could be in the midst of a fake accident yelling for help. Oh, I see. You mean if I have this fake accident and Mr. Conklin saves me, Mr. Stone may pick him for that promotion and we'll be rid of him and his amplifying system. You ain't just burning your Bunsen, Boynton. <laughs> That's right, I mean. Now, just in case Mr. Conklin has regained his hearing, let's go outside and talk over the details. No, oh, all right, Miss Brooks. Uh, follow me. This back door leads to the athletic field, and I'm sure that no one will... I'll never hear us here in the boiler room, Harriet. Not a chance. Believe me. But are you sure, Walter? Well, just to play it absolutely safe, I'll test. Ah, oh, come on, Harriet. Give me a kiss. Just one little kiss. Yeah, it's okay, Harriet. If he'd heard me, his bark would have exploded the boiler room by this time. <laughs> now, what do you think of my plan? Well, making a hero of Daddy in front of Mr. Stone sounds pretty fantastic to me. Fantastic? What's fantastic about it? It's simple. When Mr. Stone tries out the sound system and contacts the boiler room, I pretend the water pipes have exploded and I'm practically drowning. And then Daddy hears you hollering, dashes down and rescues you, huh? Yeah, that's the idea. Now, I could be... Uh, oh, Harriet, I just got a terrible thought. What? If your father ever really thought I was drowning, he'd let me. Well, making a hero of Mr. Conklin in front of Mr. Stone seemed like an ideal way to get him his promotion, particularly if it occurred while he was demonstrating his new amplifying system. However, unknown to each other, Miss Brooks and Walter Denton happened to get the idea at the same time. So as Miss Brooks approached her principal's office that afternoon, she knew nothing of the mix-up. Oh, uh, Miss Brooks, just a moment, please. Why, oh, Mr. Conklin, I was just about to stop in your office on my way home. Can you hear all right now? I could hear all right, but my head feels like the inside of the Holland Tunnel at high noon. <laughs> However, let's forget the boiler room caper, shall we? Now listen, I have a favor to ask you, a big favor. Mr. Stone is in my office at this very moment, and I'm about to demonstrate my amplifying system to him. Oh, I wouldn't worry about getting that promotion anymore, sir. Accidents have a way of happening at the strangest times, making heroes of the strangest people. I have a feeling one may happen very soon. Why, Miss Brooks, how did you find out about the accident I'd planned? You planned an accident? And you will play a key role in it. What are you going to do, push me off the roof? <laughs> oh, what a perfectly delightful... <laughs> uh, Miss Brooks, this accident again involves an open elevator shaft. If you look ten feet in front of you, the shaft is open. Oh, no, sir, not again. Don't ask me to do it again. My fingertips are all worn out. <laughs> We've got to act quickly. I've made arrangements with our home economics teacher, Miss Miller, to cling from that open elevator shaft in exactly two minutes. At that time or before, you will come into my office screaming for help, and I shall bound to the rescue. Oh, well, before you go, sir, we'd better synchronize our accident. You see, I and have And don't to... worry about Miss Miller. Even if she does let go, it's only a four-foot drop, and I have several mattresses underneath to break her fall. Uh, but, sir, believe me, it won't be necessary... Do as I say, Miss Brooks. Give me a moment or two with Mr. Stone and then go into your act. Uh, but, Mr. Conklin, I... Ah, there you are, Conklin. 
say, this is quite an efficient-looking acoustical setup you've got here. Oh, thank you, Mr. Stone. Well, it's only natural for a principal whose only concern is his school to want to improve its operation. And as you know, sir, in all my years at this school, my one thought, my one aim has been how I can become assistant super... how I can better conditions here at Madison. <coughs> I'm well aware of that, Osgood. But now I'd like to hear this amplifying system in operation, so... Uh... <laughs> Miss Conklin, come quickly. Something terrible has happened. Miss Miller has fallen down the elevator shaft. She's clinging to the ledge this very minute. What? Fallen down the elevator shaft? Good heavens. Why, Miss Brooks, it happened to you only yesterday. Yes, sir. I must have ushered in the season. (laughs) Well, what are we standing around for? A human life is in peril. Clear, quick, decisive action is called for. And if there's one thing about Osgood Conklin, he is never one to lose his head in emergencies and turn it... Conklin! Stop filibustering and save her. <laughs> oh, yes, yes, at once, yes. This is terrible, Miss Brooks, simply terrible. I think we'd better contact someone to give Conklin a hand. But how could we contact anyone in time for him to do any good, well, sir? I could try using the amplifying system. I withdraw the question. <laughs> exactly. It's only a little after three. Some teachers must still be in their classrooms. Mr. Boynton usually stays late to work in his lab, doesn't he? Maybe he can lend a hand. Oh, no, sir. I've been trying to borrow one for years. I've... Oh, I'm certain he's gone home. Well, nevertheless, there's no harm in trying the biology lab. Now, where is that button? Oh, yeah, here we are. Help! Help, Mr. Conklin! Save me! Please save me! These poison gas tubes are choking me! Help me! Something happened to Boynton. What's going on down there? Sounds like the deathbed scene from Camille. Save me, Mr. Conklin! A test tube exploded and I'm choking. <laughs> Please save me, Mr. Conklin. Uh, Mr. Conklin's out on call, Mr. Boynton. Will I do? <laughs> quick action, Miss Brooks. The boiler room is the closest place to the biology lab. I'll contact the school custodian. Ah, oh, yes, here's the button. Help! Save me, Mr. Conklin! <laughs> like Walter Denton, and he's drowning? <laughs> when those water pipes go, they really go. <laughs> oh, save me, Mr. Conklin! Save me! Miss Brooks, just why is everyone all over the school calling for Osgood Conklin? Maybe Philip Morris is busy. <laughs> uh, sir, I'm sure that uh, what you heard... What is... I heard is plenty. It's all beginning to add up, Miss Brooks. Well, maybe if you subtracted those last two accidents. Well, I saved Miss Miller. She almost pulled me down into the shaft with her, but I broke her death hold on my ankle and pulled her up by the hair. <laughs> <laughs> but it was actually nothing. Nothing at all. I agree with you. Eh? You feel quite the hero, don't you, Conklin? Then suppose you get your rescue squad and save this poor soul. Oh, save me, Mr. Conklin! Poison gas! Gas all over! Save me! Why, it's Mr. Boynton. I'll rush right Hold down. Hold it, Rover Boy. We have another customer for you in the boiler room. Probably going down for the third time. Save me, Mr. Conklin! I'm drowning! I'm going down for the 15th time! Okay, so shoot me. But I, I don't understand. What are they all doing? 
Miss Brooks, why are they all yelling for me to save them? I don't know, sir, unless they're mistaking you for St. Bernard. <laughs> Believe me, Mr. Stone, I had no hand in all this. I'm an innocent man. Uh, do we have any more accidents waiting for us, Conklin? I believe that's all we had on the calendar for today, sir. Why, innocent, Mr. Stone, believe me. Ah, here we have a button-marked roof. What little game are we playing up there, Conklin? (laughs) Oh, nothing, sir, absolutely nothing. That's for emergency air raid spotting. Well, we'll try it anyway, shall we? Save me, Osgood, for goodness sake. (laughs) Margaret Davis? But what's she doing on the roof? Miss Brooks? Don't ask me, sir. I'm still trying to figure out Walter. Save me, Osgood. I'm stuck on the television aerial. Save me, Osgood. My hero. Save me. I think I've heard enough. Conklin, I don't know whether to bring charges against you or just continue to tolerate your occasional lapses into complete idiocy. But one thing is certain. Neither you nor Jason Brill will be recommended for that promotion. Neither one of them? No, Miss Brooks. And don't try to tell me now that you didn't state that Perils of Pauline act yesterday, too. Mr. Stone, that's not true. I had a real accident, and I earned every bruise of it. (laughs) Miss Brooks, at this point, I don't know whether to believe anyone has had any real accidents or not. So, good day to both of you. Well, at least Brill won't get the job. (laughs) What was that? Now, isn't that a shame? (laughs) Shall we, Miss Brooks? I knew if we kept on pitching, sir, we'd make it sometime today. Transcribed was produced and directed by Larry Derman with the music of Lud Gluskin. Mr. Conklin was played by Gail Gordon. Others in tonight's cast were Jane Morgan, Dick Crenna, Bob Rockwell, Gloria McMillan, and Joseph Kearns. And this is Fenneman. He of the Cheshire smile. Okay. Don't forget to help us Scott of Groucho. And if you wouldn't mind waiting for just a minute after the show, we'll turn the cameras and the lights around and take your picture, and you'll be on the screens all over the country, too. All right, roll it, Doc. Yes, you will. <laughs> roll it. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing to get ready. Say, a little shot. <laughs> That's all I get tonight? One cup on <laughs> All right. Get gone, Fenneman. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, the secret word tonight is water. W-A-T-E-R. Really? You bet your life. More than 3,000 DeSoto Plymouth dealers of America present Groucho Marx in You Bet Your Life, the comedy quiz series produced and transcribed from Hollywood. And here he is, the one, the only... Groucho!
Chad, what a cad. Oh, that's me. <laughs> well, here I am again with 1,500 smackers for one of our cups. <laughs> if any of them say the secret word, the duck here will come down and pay him 100 bucks. The word tonight is uh, water. Feed it. <laughs> now, uh... Roger, our studio audience selected some newlyweds to be on our show tonight just before we went on the air, and here they come, Mr. and Mrs. Jerry Engel. Come on in here and meet Groucho Marx. Welcome, youngsters, for the DeSoto Plymouth dealer. Say the secret word, and you'll divide $100. It's a common word, something you see every day. Mr. and Mrs. Jerry, newlyweds. Well, I'm always happy to see newlyweds up here. It gives us a warm, cozy, glowing feeling. Say, I sound like Fireside Theater. <laughs> You're the uh, groom, I presume, huh? Yes. <laughs> Pretty sharp tonight. Huh? Where are you all from? Well, I'm from Long Beach. Oh, Long Beach, huh? How long since you left Long Beach? Ten years. You mean it took you that long to get a bus? <laughs> well. Are you living here in... Uh... At present time, yes. Right, sir. And Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Uh, Engel, huh? you What's your first name? Uh, Laurie. Laurie? Yes. Uh, like a motor Laurie, you mean? Uh, <laughs> nice, oh, oh, Laurie, huh? Like Annie Lowe. Where, where are you from? The Bronx. The Bronx? And you're from Long Beach? Yes, sir. Wow. How old are you, uh, Laurie? I realize the gentleman never asked that question, <laughs> so uh, how old are you? I'm 20. 20, huh? Whereabouts in the Bronx did you live? I used to live in the Bronx years ago. Oh, I lived near the Bronx Zoo. You live near the Bronx Zoo? I lived in it. <laughs> how, how old are you, uh, Jerry? I'm 21. 21, huh? Mm-hmm. What does uh, Laurie call you when you're all alone? Oh, I'd rather not say. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I won't embarrass you by asking anymore. I won't press you. What, what do you call him, Laurie? <laughs> I call him Sugar Plum. Sugar Plum? Did you pick that up in the Bronx? Or from a fruit stand? <laughs> well, let's find out something about you two. Uh, Jerry, uh, how, how newly wedded are you? Are you still on your honeymoon? Well, yes and no. Yes and no? You mean she's still honeymooning, but the honeymoon is all as far as you're concerned, is that <laughs> Will you straighten me out, uh, Laurie? Uh, you can straighten him out when you get home. <laughs> Well, uh, the formal honeymoon is over, but, well, we hope that our marriage will always be honeymoon. Isn't that almost sickening? <laughs> well, that's refresh. That's what I like about newlyweds. They're so warm and cozy and glowing. Plus that, they haven't the slightest idea what they're talking about. <laughs> now, I, I, I hope uh, with you that you're... Marriage will be a long and successful one, and that you have a constant honeymoon up until your golden wedding. And then you can start slugging it out. <laughs> By that time, you won't be able to. <laughs> How long have you been married, Lo- uh, Annie, uh, Jerry, Laurie? Let's see. Well, we've been married uh, six months now and about three weeks. Six months and three weeks? Uh-huh. We're still counting it by the uh, weeks, huh? <laughs> still counting. We're going to start counting by the decades. Eh? <laughs> what sort of work do you do, Jerry? Well, at the present time, Mr. Marks, I'm a, an auditor, and I'm hoping to become a CPA. See, it must be a pretty shady racket if you have to spell it. 
anything like an APA or an OPA? Now, that stands for Certified Public Accountant. Well, how do I know you're certified? You don't even look homogenized. <laughs> what does certified mean? They vaccinate you or something each morning before you go to work? Well, a certified public accountant is an accountant who's been licensed by the state. He is certified by the state after he has passed an exam which consists of four parts and after he has served a term of experience of at a minimum of two years. That's what I'm doing right now. I'm on my way to completing that experience requirement. Why do I always run into these curious occupations? <laughs> Why couldn't you just come up here and say you were a plumber? No, I'm not a plumber. <laughs> well, if you were, you'd have to hire your own CPA. <laughs> I know, I paid a plumbing bill yesterday. $19 for a washer. <laughs> What was there about uh, uh, Laurie here that attracted you to her, uh, Jerry? Particularly, I mean, was it her smile or uh, the way she walked? Or uh... As I remember, um, a friend of mine had a picture of her, and he was showing it to everybody, and when I came over, he wouldn't let me see it. So I got curious, and I... I should think so. Huh? <laughs> I wanted to find out what it was. Was it a bikini bathing suit? Or? I never found out. <laughs> I just had to go to the source, and so I met Laurie, and since then I'm taking my own pictures. <laughs> now, what kind of work does a CPA do? I hate it. Well, a... Laurie, what kind of work does your husband do? Oh, he works with... Oh, he balances books, and he helps uh, fix income tax statements. <laughs> Anybody that isn't. <laughs> I mean, he, he you don't mean him. that he fixes them, eh? You mean that he prepares them? Is that what you yes. mean? First you prepare them and then they get fixed. <laughs> oh, he um, he balances books and he. He's works a juggler, in other words. <laughs> he works with figures and ledgers and um, debits and credits. And let me see. Well, that's pretty interesting. I knew debits and credits very well. They had a star over in Santa Monica. Between <laughs> Manny, Moe, and Jack originally. And... <laughs> Suppose I hired you. What could you do for me, uh, Jerry? Well, it depends. It matters what your requirements are. My requirements are very simple. A loaf of bread, a jug of wine, and, <laughs> and Phil Spitalny's all-girl August. <laughs> Jonas Spitalny floor years ago, but uh, never got a laugh, so we could say Well, uh, Jerry, stop evading the issue. What kind of services could you perform for me? Well, I could manage your personal affairs. <laughs> Thanks. If it's all the same to you, I'll manage my own affairs. <laughs> and you, a newlywed, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. <laughs> uh, no wonder they wouldn't show you that picture. <laughs> That is what I meant. Well, uh, maybe I don't understand what's your interpretation of personal affairs. Well, I would take care of your income and expenses. I would... <laughs> I would, uh... Could you get me a mink coat? <laughs> Not as if your income could <laughs> pay for it. What else could you do for me? Well, I'd give you an allowance and, uh... How much? Depends. It depends on what? How much you want to give me? Uh, 
couldn't give you more than you're making. No, that's quite true. Huh? That's in Georgia, isn't it, Megan? <laughs> now, do you like this work uh, particularly, Jerry? Yes, I do. Why? Well, uh, there's very interesting personal contact. You're always meeting new clients, all types of clients, and uh, you go to their different places of business and you you stick your nose in their affairs. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is a challenge too. I mean, you do have a challenge as to preparing statements and drawing a picture of the business as it really is. Now, as the head of a family, do you believe every married couple should operate on a budget? Oh, oh definitely. They, do, huh? they should live within their means. Were you, are you aware of that, uh, Laurie? Yes, I when have become aware of you outside of the zoo? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> what would you consider, Jerry, a good workable budget for your own family, for example? Well, uh, about 25% would go to food. Uh, twenty percent to rent—that's forty-five percent—and five percent utilities, and ten percent transportation—that's sixty, and ten percent would go to clothing. At seventy. And five uh, percent to savings. Seventy-five. Taxes—you can to be conservative about twenty percent. It's ninety-five. And well, we could plug the extra five with miscellaneous. That's you, uh, Laurie, miscellaneous. <laughs> Who's miscellaneous? Are you, is there another woman? Uh, well, do you agree with this budget, Laurie, or do you think you can make out on that? Well, uh, Jerry eliminated old vacations and um, good times. Yes, entertainment. That's, that's quite true. Now, how much do you think should be allotted for entertainment, for example? Oh, I don't know. About 12%. And how much would you set aside for vacations? About 10 how does this add up with your ideas, Jerry? That makes 122% of my income. Kids, I predict your marriage will be a long and expensive one. You better win some money here tonight. Like. Now, in just one minute, you're going to play your bet your life for a chance at the $1,500 question. But before you do, here's something that every young couple should know. All right, now let's see how you work together as a team. Uh, George, would you mind explaining the rules to these uh, Hansel and Gretel over here? All right. You bet as much of your $20 as you want on each of four questions, and the couple that earns the most money gets a chance at the $1,500 DeSoto Plymouth question later in the show. It's the voice of doom here. <laughs> Warden Laws. Here we go. Let's see how high I can build you $20. You selected adjacent states. Here's your place question. How much will you bet? Is that adjacent in the fleece, or is that just uh, adjacent? Here's your first question. How much of the twenty dollars you gonna bet? Sixteen. This is this would be a good uh, test of your ability as a CPA. Sixteen. All right. What state is directly north of Oregon? Washington. Washington is right. Well, you're off to a good start. You have thirty-six dollars. Remember, you're going for fifteen hundred dollars tonight. How much of your thirty-six dollars will you bet on your second question? Thirty-five. Okay. <laughs> Thirty-five. Thirty-five. What state is directly west of Texas? Uh, Texas is New Mexico. New Mexico is on the bus. Really on your way. You have seventy-one dollars. Aren't you proud of him, Laurie? Yes. <laughs> Here's your third question. How much of the seventy-one are you going to go for? Seventy. She's the boss. <laughs> when they start admitting that on the sixth month. <laughs> All right, you're going to bet seventy. What state is directly west of Utah? Uh, Utah. Nevada. Nevada is correct. 
You now have $141. Is your last chance to beat the other couples? How much of the 141 All of it. All right. What state is directly south of Georgia? Georgia. Florida. Florida is right. <laughs> and you wind up with $282. And good luck from the Soto Plymouth Dealers. Oh, say, I've got a note here to remind me to tell you something. I just finished reading a book called Showbiz by Abel Green and Joe Laurie Jr. It's the best book I've read about show business, and when you read it, I think you'll agree. Make a note of that, Fenneman. I'll do that. We have a barber and a lady pharmacist for you now, Groucho. They yeah, both they. were selected from the audience just before we went on the air. Miss Nadine McLaughlin, Mr. Uh, Louis Harrow. Come in here and meet Groucho Marx. Well, uh, welcome to your bet your life. Say the secret word and divide $100. It's a common word, something you see every day. Let's see now. Lady pharmacist and a barber, eh? Miss uh, McLaughlin, are you the barber? No, I'm the pharmacist. (laughs) Oh, you're the pharmacist. I thought maybe you were the pharmacist's daughter, huh? (laughs) Well, a pharmacist can give you a close shave, too, you know. (laughs) All you have to do is accidentally put ant paste in somebody's vitamin pills and... (laughs) Uh, really cook. Where, where are you from, uh, Nadine? Well, I was born in a little stone house behind a garage. Service oh, station. I know those houses. Taking <laughs> <laughs> them out of stone now. Eh? In uh, Victorville, California. Well, I know Victorville, too. <laughs> you were born in a stone house outside of a garage in Victorville, California. That's right. Well, how come? That's where... I don't know. That's just where it happened to be... Oh, you'd have been born any place where you were born, huh? You weren't right. at all particular. I wasn't particular. Didn't care. <laughs> Nadine is a very pretty name. It's a, what is that, uh, the derivative of Nadine, do you know? Why were you named Nadine? Because I... My mother knew a lady named Nadine. Are you sure she was a lady? <laughs> I hope so. And that was the only reason? Uh-huh. Well, it's a very pretty name. May I ask uh, how old you are? I'm 21. 21. Are, are you married? Yes. <laughs> well, I'm off to Mexico anyhow today. Tell me, uh, you say you're married Is he a pharmacist mate? Well, yes <laughs> And uh, I'm a pharmacist mate Because he's a pharmacist and I'm a pharmacist Oh, both pharmacists, huh? Right Oh, you're really a drug on the market between you. <laughs> how, how, did you, how did you meet your husband? Well, uh, it was down in the laboratory at the University of Southern California, and we were rolling pills together. <laughs> and, uh, well, one thing led to another, and... Yes, I guess so. <laughs> Most pills will do that, you know. <laughs> you probably wound up with a bowling ball. What do you mean? You were rolling pills down the hall, or...? No, you roll them in your fingers. Oh, is that the way you roll uh-huh. pills? Oh. And what happened? Do you like the way he was rolling these things? Well, I decided that if uh, I couldn't catch a husband in pharmacy school where the boys outnumbered the girls 20 to 1, that I'd be doomed to sell aspirin the rest of my life. What grain? Do you remember? <laughs> what difference does it make? It really doesn't make any difference. <laughs> it's always nice to have some kind of a rejoinder. <laughs> Somebody gets through making a statement that bewilders me. Now, does that clarify that for you, Nadine? Back to the stone house, Nadine. Mr. Lewis Harrow, huh? 
Yes, you sir. You must be the barber, huh? Yes, I am. Where are you from, Louis? I'm from Guadalajara, Mexico. Oh, I Guadalajara at home. She's about five years old. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be in Mexico tomorrow morning. Well, congratulations. <laughs> are you congratulating me or Mexico? <laughs> oh. Are you are you married, Louis? Yes, I am. You have uh, you have ch children? Oh, we only have five children. That's the first batch, you know. <laughs> first batch. What are you raising? Cookies? <laughs> I guess these are raisin cookies. <laughs> what are their names? Do you recall any of their names? Well, <laughs> it's quite confusing. You see, by all the boys' names. After me and uh, my daughter's and my older, wife. Your older boy is after you? I <laughs> mean, it uh, has the same name as mine. Oh. So What's we his name? Louis. Oh. So. <laughs> the coincidence? That's the same name you've got. <laughs> so we call well, him... wonders never cease. <laughs> so we uh, call him by numbers. One, two, three, four, five, to make it easier. So it wouldn't be so confusing. <laughs> What do you mean? Make it easier for the next batch, you mean? Well, <laughs> you going to start off again with Lewis on the second five? Well, probably. We start our family of um, <laughs> Louis the 15, probably. <laughs> Pretty snappy with a quip, this Bob. It's the type that won't let you read a newspaper. <laughs> How'd you meet your wife, uh, number one? Well, uh, <laughs> I met her in a department store. I went in there to get some shirts. Unfortunately, I didn't know my size, so she was very glad to tell me what size I was supposed to wear. How old were you then, Louie? Well, I was 21. You were 21? You didn't know what size shirt you wore? No. <laughs> I mean, I'd go to Mexico. Well, we use a different system, you know. You know we you use do? the metric system in Mexico. You use your... Uh, oh. So well, that's what kind of size shirt do you wear here? Well, size 15. And what would you wear in Mexico? Well... <laughs> Call Louis, I suppose, huh? 13. 13, huh? <laughs> no, that's, that's quite interesting, huh? Now, uh, have you kept your shirt all these years in this shirt shop? Did you notice a short fellow with glasses? I forget his name, but he's in Washington now. <laughs> And then what happened with this girl after she uh, told you what size shirt you wore? Well, I uh, kept on coming to the store every day to buy a pair of shoelaces. Next day, uh, maybe a tie or something like that. She was in all different departments, huh? Well, I was always chasing after her. I see. <laughs> and you finally lost your shirt, is that it? Finally. <laughs> well, what happened then? Was this girl the only one you took out, well, or did you have dates with other women? No, I took her mother, too. Selling. Well, <laughs> she, she was a perfect chaperone, so we took her along with us. You mean you went out on a date? You took the old That's lady right. along too? Yes, indeed. And what happened? Well, <laughs> silly question, right? Huh? You know, the five children. What did the chaperone do? Did they, did they just curl up with a good book? No, they did the same thing as we did. You mean you have ten kids now?
Mexico too long. <laughs> was this here or in Mexico? No, this was here. Oh, well, maybe I'll cancel my trip. <laughs> now, you're an Nadine, you're a pharmacist, eh? Uh, where do you work? I work out in Westchester at Converse Drug. Congress drug, yeah. Converse. Converse drug? Uh-huh. Is it like Horton and Converse? I uh, think the nephew. I see. What happened to Horton? <laughs> it's like that Malino and Simon. <laughs> I told you about Simon getting smaller all the time. Malino's getting bigger on those benches. <laughs> what a rooking Simon must have got. <laughs> what are your duties as a pharmacist? Do you sell people gopher traps and suspenders and beach balls and things like that? No, I'm a pharmacist. I fill prescriptions. Make up solutions, check the stock, roll a few pills. <laughs> you, you like that, huh? Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, suppose a doctor has a hypochondriac like me and he wants to give me something harmless just to shut me up. Uh, what would he prescribe? Oh, um, placebo, I guess. Placebo? That's in Mexico, isn't it? <laughs> I'm not really sick. I'm just a hypochondriac. What's a placebo? Do you know, Louis? Well, placebo is... Uh, I'm not a pharmacist, but... Well, I'm not. <laughs> I think it's some kind of a pill. <laughs> Louis May gives a good guarded answer, doesn't he? <laughs> what is a placebo, Nadine? Well, he's right. It's a pill, but it's a milk sugar pill. You get milk out of them? <laughs> what do you mean, a milk sugar pill? Well, lactose is milk sugar, and it's, mil- it's made of milk sugar. Mm-hmm. And people really take these sugar pills and never know the difference? Sure. I'm probably full of placebos and don't know it. <laughs> Next time I'm sick, I'll go to the grocery store and eliminate the middleman. <laughs> Do these uh, lactose pills uh, have any other value other than poisoning the victim? Oh, sure. Uh, they have a psychological value. They have? Uh-huh. The people take them for the imaginary sickness mm-hmm. and... Uh, Psychosomatic, you mean, huh? Right. And uh, the pills do a lot of good because the people really didn't have anything in the first place. <laughs> well, you assume that most people are hypochondriacal? No. Hmm? No. Just a few of them, huh? I noticed some strange language on my prescription. Now, what what language is that? That's probably Latin. It's very appropriate, writing a prescription in a dead language. (laughs) Why do doctors write their prescriptions in Latin? So the patients can't read them. What is their purpose in uh, in keeping the patient mystified? No, really, the true reason is that Latin's an international language... And is, so right? the prescription could be filled in any country. Mm-hmm. Well, has Horton got a place in there? Or has got a place? <laughs> Could you give us a typical symbol of, uh, of Latin? Well, there's um, PRN, pro re nata. PRN. What does that mean? Give this sucker a dose of sugar? <laughs> no, that means as needed, take as needed, or so forth. Mm-hmm. Well, let's get back to your barbershop, Louis. Uh, by the way, where is it? Well, that's located at Bullock's Wilshire. No, oh, you can get clipped on any floor there. On <laughs> <laughs> the fourth floor. <laughs> <laughs> you realize you'll be at all back tomorrow. <laughs> In the basement, too. Huh? What's a barbershop doing in a department store? 
whereas mostly for the convenience of the customers, and this is specialized only for children. So that's why I don't wear anything white, so the children won't think I'm a doctor. And um, after well, the performance is over, I mean, after the haircut, they performance, all... Performance, you call it. Well, <laughs> yes, indeed. It's quite a trick to, to catch some of those little boys here sometimes. Well, then I give them a cookie or bubble gum, which they prefer. Well, are there any other differences uh, between cutting children and adults hair? Well, let's put it this way. Uh, <clears throat> I'm just like a, a flyer. What can be a flyer and what can be a stunt flyer? So the children move so much that I have to be quick on the trigger. <laughs> are, uh, your customers are all little shavers. Now, how do you like that little joke, Louie? <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> I thought okay. you'd like it. That joke has whiskers on it. <laughs> you can shave that joke in the morning. <laughs> well, have you had any hair-raising experiences as a children's barber? Well, yes, indeed. I had one in particular. That <clears throat> a man came in with a youngster. With and what? With a, a little youngster. <laughs> That's what he said the first time. <laughs> Well, anyway, I asked him how he wanted the haircut. I was afraid to ask him, uh, short or long, and so he says, well, give me the works. <laughs> so I cut the child's hair very short with sideburns and all, and it happened to be a girl. Well, did, did you actually think that this was a boy? Yes, I did so, because he was. she was wearing a little uh, trousers, you know, a little... Uh, well, Louie, that sure was a good joke on you. Well, that little girl grew up and is now gorgeous George. <laughs> well, you've taught me a lot tonight, and if I'm smart, I'll never take another pill unless I'm getting my hair cut. <laughs> and if you're smart, you'll visit your DeSoto Plymouth dealer for the best in service. Remember that, Nadine. And you too, Louie. Okay. Now you're going to play your bet your life. You beat our other couples, and you'll get a chance at the $1,500 question. I can't tell you how much you have to win, but uh, George is going to remind our listeners. Here we go. Let's see how high I can build you $20. You selected famous physical characteristics. Here's your first question. How much of the 20 will you risk? Talk well, it over. <laughs> that's your partner, Nadine. Uh, that's not what we selected. This is not what you selected? No. There's foul play here. <laughs> Rivers, Rivers, didn't we? Rivers? Rivers? You got an old man out there with ribbons? <laughs> <laughs> old man ribbons? Don't say Yeah, all right. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. There'll be heads rolling here in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> There's a crook backstage here somewhere. Have you met Mr. Dwan, the director? <laughs> all right, here we go. Let's see how I can bring you $20. You selected United States River Cities. Seems to me I said that. <laughs> all right, here's your first question. How much will you bet? Well, uh, 16. 16. 16. Are you sure you're married, Nadine? Yes. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right. $16. On what river is the city of Cincinnati? Ohio. That's right, Ohio. You know, you've been talking over. Well, you're on your way. You have $36. Then we're going for $1,500 tonight. How much of the 36 will you bet on your second question? How much? 33. 33. 33. On what river is the city of El Paso? 
Uh, Rio Grande. Rio Grande is right. You now have $69. Rio Grande. Here's your third question, then. How much will you bet on the 69 smackers? How many more rivers do you know? Let's go, Rivers. He fought badly, Nelson. Old man Rivers. How many we got? You have 69 bucks now. Oh, no. 67. 67. All right. And what river is the city of Minneapolis? On what river? Talk it over and take a stab at it if you don't know. On what river is the city of Minneapolis? St. Lawrence? Yes. St. Lawrence? I'm surprised at you. Mississippi River runs all the way down from Minneapolis down to New Orleans. You now have two dollars. All right, it's your last chance to be the other couples. How much will you bet? Two dollars. Two dollars. On what river is the city of Albany? Uh, Albany, that's in New York. Uh, Take a guess. Well, it's it's the Hudson River. Roger. And that was a very easy question. Well, we can't let you go away from here broke. I'll give you one more question. You answer correctly, and we'll see that you don't hear leave here with less than twenty-five bucks. You've got uh, you've got nothing, so the twenty-five bucks will make up the difference. <laughs> That's obscure to me too. Now think hard now, and please no help in the audience. In what city do you find the Hollywood YWCA? Hollywood. Hollywood is right. and good luck from the DeSoto Plymouth Dealers. We uh, asked if there were any women present tonight who had unusual hobbies. And just before we went on the air, Mrs. Mary V. Hood was selected. Her partner, Mr. James W. Monte, is a very unusual man, Groucho, and I'm sure you'll understand why I invite him to be at our show tonight when you meet him. So, uh, folks, come on in and meet Groucho Marx. Welcome, kids, for the DeSoto Plymouth Dealers. Say the secret word and divide $100. It's the common word, something you see every day. Right up there, that's right. Mrs. Mary V. Hood and Mr. James W. Monty. Mrs. Hood, where are you from uh, originally? I was born at Valescure in France. You were born in France? Mm-hmm. That's a kind of a strange name, isn't it? That isn't a French name, is it? Hood? Hood, no. Uh-huh. I'm an American citizen. Oh, I see. How long since you left France? Or France? Uh, about, uh, yeah, that's arithmetic. 25, 30 years? Well, that's close enough. Where's your French accent, uh, well, Mrs. Hood? Well, living in England and living in uh, America, I didn't stay long enough there to get one. I see. What does your husband do, Mrs. Hood? He teaches mathematics. You mean like addition and subtraction? Uh, no, he's college education. Oh, long division, eh? <laughs> well, he calls it integral calculus and uh, analytics and, uh, oh, uh, you know, nasty things like that. Long words. Great yeah. big long words. Well, I don't... 25 years, I haven't had time yet to know it. You haven't absorbed any of this, uh, Mrs. Hood? I'm careful what I learn. <laughs> I'm not. I'm infected with trivia of all kinds. 
Mr. Monty, where, where were you born? Born in Macomb, Illinois, in a log cabin. In a log cabin, huh? Yeah. How old are you? Well, on my next birthday, I'll be 90 years old. Oh. Well, you must have been born quite some time ago. <laughs> You're almost 90 years old? Yes, sir. Well, Mr. Monty, we get familiar in a hurry around here. Uh, what shall I call you? Uh, everybody calls me Daddy. <laughs> I'll be very happy to call you Daddy. <laughs> Happier than you realize. <laughs> Imagine me calling anyone Daddy. <laughs> I'll call you Dada. <laughs> you can call me number one. <laughs> Or Louie, if you prefer. I don't are you are you married, uh, Dad? Yes, sir. You are. Huh? How long have you been married? Fifty-seven years. Well, stick to it. It may work out all right. <laughs> How large is your clan? Oh, How green is my valley? I suppose. <laughs> How large is your family? Four children. Seven grandchildren, seven great-grandchildren. How about great-great-grandchildren? Well, you have to give me time. <laughs> You're going to need more than that, Dad. <laughs> Mr. Monty, uh, uh, how did you meet Mrs. Monty? That's how I went out in the photograph business. Salem, Oregon. You were a, you were a photographer? Yes, sir. Well, how did you meet her? Her father wanted to have a picture made there at home, and he invited me to come up and make the picture of the house and the family. In that order? I met her out. She was out sweeping off the walk. She asked if I was the artist that her father didn't get to make the picture, and I told her yes. But she just come in the house, and we'll be ready in just a few minutes. Uh, she went out and went around the back door and come in the kitchen. I uh, heard it tell her mother, says the artist is coming, he's a cute little fella, too. <laughs> well, she was right. Well, <laughs> and you heard this, huh? I heard that. And what was your reaction to this? Well, you took some close-ups, uh, huh? Three years after that time we were married. That three years? Reaction. Huh? Well, everything was slower in those days. <laughs> After 57 years of marriage, have you any advice for younger married couples? Well, I'd advise a man never to argue with a woman. <laughs> you, don't, you don't believe in arguing with a woman, is that it? No, sir. Well, that's sound advice, Dad. If we all did that, we'd all live to be 90. <laughs> Mrs. Hood, how long have you been married? 26 years. Do you have any advice for younger married couples? Yes. First of all, never buy anything that costs more than $10 without talking it over. But that doesn't mean to say that you shouldn't talk everything over, even if it does lead to an argument. It clears the air eventually. Now, Dad, this isn't exactly in accord with your philosophy. <laughs> what have you got to say about that? Oh, I said that she's right. <laughs> No wonder he got to be 90. <laughs> Dad, I predict you'll be on this program to celebrate your 190th birthday. Well, I hope so. Well, I hope so, too. I hope I'm sitting here. 
Now, Dad Fenneman says you're a very unusual man. I'd like to know why, besides the fact that you're a vigorous, healthy 90. Because that's why. You mean you just flap your arms and take off? Yes, sir. I fly an airplane. You fly an airplane? Yes, sir. Well, that's easier than flapping your arms. <laughs> Wait a minute. At 90, you actually pilot a plane? Yes, sir. It's extraordinary. At 90, a man is unusual if he can pilot a rocking chair. <laughs> How long have you been a pilot, Junior? I've <laughs> uh, been a pilot now for quite a while. It's the young fellow. <laughs> well, that was quite a while, all right. I just saw my plane leaving without me. <laughs> I'm curious, are there any licensed pilots around who are older than you? I'm told I'm the oldest licensed, active licensed pilot in the world. Well, when did you first get the urge to pilot a flying machine? When I was eight years old. Well, that's old enough. Why didn't you fly one? Well, it wasn't invented at that time. <laughs> Flimsy excuse, if I ever... <laughs> well, how did you get the urge to fly if there weren't any airplanes? I had a vision that I'd fly like everybody would, soar through the skies from city to city and ocean to ocean. Nobody could ever talk me out of it. Well, you should have patented your vision and you'd be rich. Perhaps you are. <laughs> now, Mrs. Hood, I understand you have an interesting hobby. Could you tell us what it is? Well, I'm an ecologist. I'm sorry, but that isn't the secret word tonight. <laughs> it's a nice try, though. What do you mean, an ecologist? We study the interrelationship of plants, animals, soil, and water. Oh. That's a good one. Well, you said water. That's the secret word. So you and, and Pappy over here split a hundred bucks between you. Fifty for you and fifty for you. In other words, you're a conservationist, is that right? Uh, uh, that's a good ex explanation of it. Uh, a, con a conservationist is someone who likes to talk. Uh, well, all to make conservation. That. <laughs> and I've just made too much in the last five seconds. <laughs> now, what are some of the things you do to promote conservation? Well, one thing, we I lecture, or I talk about things, and I use, uh, and we have I have taken and uh, gradually gather together 10,000 slides. You've taken 10,000 slides? Yes, I have taken 10,000 slides. <laughs> Mrs. Hood, do you wear a bustle? I need a safe spin sometimes. <laughs> well, aside from conservation, what are you interested in? Well, ornithology, ecology, um, ichthyology. I think a lot of nasty ones, boy. Uh, and um, speleology. And Paleology. Underground rock climbing. The funny things that live in caves. Oh. Not well, you don't have to go that deep out here. <laughs> now, does anything exciting ever happen in the world of conservation? Uh, what's happened to you, for example? Oh, I have climbed Mount Whitney, the highest mountain in the United States. I have touched the original Piltdown Skull. How'd you like? Oh, she was charming. That's a female? She was a female. Oh. But a little older than Mr. Monty here. It was the original, earliest skull that ever was found in England. That was a long time ago. 
and both for me and for the skull. And then there was the uh, time I went to Carthage, had my 12th birthday in Carthage. And uh, then last summer, hiking in Yosemite, we discovered a subglacial torrent. The remains of one, because there aren't any big glaciers now yes, then. Well, We've had fun just hiking around. Yes, it's too bad. Yes, I've always wanted to see one in full bloom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Fascinating. Now, Dad, when in your 90 years, what's the most unusual thing that ever happened to you? Oh, I drove the stage. I was down to the Kansas. You drove the stagecoach? Yes, sir. 
<laughs> and here we go. Let's see how high I can build you $20. You selected famous physical characteristics. <laughs> go out? I'll go out with him. Here we go. Let's see how I can build you $20. You selected famous physical characteristics. Now, here's your first question. How much of your $20 will you bet? Fifteen. Fifteen. All right. What was, yeah, that's all right. What was the name of the large-sized Philistine, or Philistine, who was slain by David Slingshot? David and Goliath. Goliath right. is right. right. Well, you're off to a good start. You have $35. Let me go in for $1,500 tonight. How much of the $35 will you bet on your second question? Thirty? Yeah, Thirty dollars. What was the name of the little wooden boy whose nose grew when he told a lie? Pinocchio. Pinocchio is right. You now have sixty-five dollars. Here's your third question. How much of the sixty-five will you bet? Sixty. Yeah. Sixty? What long-nosed poet helped woo his friend's girl, Roxanne? Oh, um... Oh, I know it. Uh, sweep him up on Arche Blanche. Um. Serrano de Bergerac. Serrano is right. <laughs> You've now climbed to $125. Imagine a French woman almost missing that. Huh? $120. You, is that what you're going to bet? Okay, here we go. The last chance to beat the other couples, $120. What was the name of the strong man who was weakened when his hair was cut? Samson. Samson, Samson and Delilah. <laughs> yes, you can. <laughs> well, you wind up with $245, and that means that the newlyweds with $282 in just one minute get a chance at the DeSoto Plymouth $1,500 question. <laughs> Gentlemen, there's a line. Me? Yeah. Uh, now I'd like you to meet a couple of friends of mine. And here are the newlyweds, the winning couple, all set for the DeSoto Plymouth $1,500 question, Groucho. Come on in, kids. Here's your chance to find out uh, how much uh, good that CPA education has done you and those years in the Bronx. <laughs> Yeah, for $1,500, I'll give you 15 seconds to decide on a single answer between you. Think carefully, and please, no help from the audience. Ready? One of the most famous opera houses in the world is located in Milan, Italy. For $1,500, what is the name of this great musical landmark? Talk it over. What's the answer you two have decided upon? Take yeah. a guess. This beauty? No, I'm sorry. It's it's La Scala. The correct answer is La Scala, so that means the big question next week will be worth $2,000. Well, you lost the big money, but how much did they win on the quiz, George? $282. Well, it's not too bad. Congratulations and thanks to both of you and to all of our contestants on the show tonight.
be sure to tune in again next Wednesday night at the same time for the Groucho Marx Show, when the big question will be worth $2,000. And don't miss Groucho's television show, also presented by the DeSoto Plymouth Dealers of America. And remember, all dealers who sell DeSoto also sell Plymouth. Two great cars, both products of the Chrysler Corporation. And when you drive in, tell them Groucho sent you. Good night, folks, and remember... See the 1952 DeSoto. Folks, here's a reminder from the National Safety Council. You can't control the weather, but you can control your speed. You Bet Your Life, transcribed from Hollywood, is produced by John Goodell, directed by Robert Dwan and Bernie Smith. Music by Jerry Fielding. This is George Fenneman signing off for the more than 3,000 DeSoto Plymouth dealers from coast to coast.